Yeah, so we have the privilege of hearing James preach this morning. Yeah, I'm quite excited for what he wants to share. We've been speaking in the week. I'm really trusting that the Holy Spirit is just going to do something in our hearts. Um, yeah, so over to you, James. Is it fine if I pray for myself? I need it. I mean, not everyone is always going to know the experience of what it is like to preach, but it's never be fooled by someone up here who looks all confident and stuff. Like it's often before, this morning I was like, Lord, I am so inadequate. I was like reading the scriptures we're going to preach from today. I'm like so intimidated by the task. I'm like, I don't even know how to do this justice. But that's actually, my wife always says, well, yes, you're right. You are inadequate. She's a great motivational speaker. Because that's actually what you need as a Christian. I shouldn't be hearing, yeah, you're adequate. You're the best. Like, rely on yourself. I need to hear, no, don't rely on yourself. Rely on God. So let me just pray for that. Father, I just thank you just for, you're reminding us this morning that we, you're such a strong reminder that we're in warfare here. That yeah, we're not ignorant of our enemy's schemes. We are the, we're, we're a unique people, Lord, that you've saved out of this world, but we still live in the world. And we live by a totally different master, a different system of ethics, a different worldview, a different hope. Um, and we rely completely on our Heavenly Father, Lord, for everything. Every good thing comes from you, Lord. Thank you that you have saved us out of darkness. Just like that man that was blind that Jesus healed. And he says, one thing I know, that once I was blind, but now I see. And we can say the same. Once I was blind and I was lost, I was without hope, but now I see. So, Lord, I just pray that your word would come this morning. And please just come do what I am totally inadequate to do. Just take my words, take this preparation, take the desire in my heart for my friends and my brothers and my sisters, and I pray that you would, yeah, you would bring just the fire of God, that you'd be like a hammer this morning that shatters strongholds, and you set your people free from whatever bondages, whatever lies and despair and any enemies in our lives, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm, I'm always aware on a, on a Sunday morning that when you, you, when you sit here, you've basically got no idea <laughs> what, what the person is going to preach on. Some churches, I know it's plotted out maybe like a year in advance, but Josh Jen style, <laughs> it's like a lucky packet when you arrive here. You don't know what you're going to get. So I want to position it and say what I'm preaching on and why. And, and I've, I really want to make sure that it, it ties into where we've been and what we've been doing. Um, who remembers when we all marched around the hall a few weeks ago? I was joking today that if I get stuck on my preach, I'm just going to make everyone march again. Is that fine? If I get stuck, nervous, you're just marching. <laughs> no, I won't do that. But, but Ross, I think it was that Sunday, Ross preached a message on how he preached it from, I think it was two kings about King Hezekiah. 
taking on which, I can't remember which empire that was back then. But anyways, he was preaching about how the enemy comes and intimidates us. Um, and then Estian also a few weeks ago preached on spiritual warfare. And what I want to preach on today is the fact that you are dead to sin. And for some of you, you're going to go, huh? That does not feel like it's true. But the thing with the Christian walk is you don't start with feelings. You start with truth. You start with position. Otherwise, you're going to be fooling yourself the whole day. I mean, your whole life. Thinking, I read all these things, but you're going to think, if only that were true. So scripture might tell you, you're more than a conqueror through him who loved him. And if you're looking to your feelings each day, are you going to feel like more than a conqueror? No. So that's why it's so important. One thing I want to lay this morning, and we're going to be looking at just one portion of Scripture. I'm not going to be jumping really at all, um, is Romans chapter 6, which is a very, very meaty, packed, loaded. Anyone ever tried to spend time in, 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 in Romans chapter 6? I've got two takers. Minica, you've done work in there. Yeah, it's, I was like, yo, I'm so amped to preach, and then I read it this morning, I was like, huh? <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I was, I'm preaching to myself today also. I know, there's so much, it's like, a, it's like the tip of the iceberg. So, I hope even today, through the preach, here's some application already. If you want, application only comes at the end, I'm already giving you application. Whatever I say today, go test it yourself, go read in the Word, Look at the points that were raised and, and grapple with it yourself. Because I can promise you, you're going to get probably, hopefully some food this morning, spiritually speaking. But we, we need to be walking these things out. Amen? We cannot just go Sunday to Sunday, relying on this as your only meal time of the week. Okay. So I firstly want to start off, before I even go into the scripture, I wanted to touch on why I think this is so necessary for us. Because I think a common misconception we can have about becoming a Christian is we, we um, almost describe everything that happened at the cross to almost just an external thing that didn't happen. I don't think we're often that aware of what hap has happened here inside of us. So we're aware that I have been, you would hear this in any youth meeting, you'd hear this in any church, maybe sinner's prayer at the end. It's the, you have been forgiven of your sins. But if forgiveness of sins were like a piece of armor to wear during the week, how much does knowing that you're forgiven of your sins actually empower you to live the godly life? Not always that much. Hey, Bridge? I mean, it helps you when you fail, but you don't want to keep failing. That's the point. You want to go from glory to glory. So actually, on the, you could say on the one side of the cross, it is Jesus died for me. That's the language you're going to see, for me. You'll see it all the way back in the prophets in Isaiah chapter 53, that the, he is the substitute. But knowing that he is a substitute doesn't necessarily just come now and empower you. There's another side also to the cross, which is almost a bit more mystical sometimes, is that you died with him. That language, do, do a search for yourself and you'll find those words with him, with him, with him, over 
and over and over and over. So on the one side, if you want to draw yourself a little picture, you can have he died for me. On the other side, I died with him, which is a radical thought, don't you think? Do you wake up each day thinking, actually, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me? Do you, do you see yourself that way? I wish I saw myself more that way. Most of the time, I think we, we, we're relating to God still, as if I'm here and God is there. And I'm trying to somehow figure out what he wants from me. But for, to have the thought that to be a Christian is equivalent to being united to Christ. That is the language of the New Testament. It's not like you join a church, you start serving on enough ministry teams, service teams, you get a good CV going, and then everyone's like, okay, we want to celebrate your first year of service, you're now in Christ. You're like, woo! <laughs> and the rest of you, mm, you're just kind of there. No, every single Christian is in Christ. That's how you're saved. All the work that Jesus did on the cross, the only way that can be applied to you is you've got to be in Him. And you've got to separate that from each day following Him and walking in Him. Do you know what I mean? You've got to start with what is true of my position. It's like if I lived in South Africa and I moved to Canada, I'm in a different place. There's, there's a different society, there's different rules, there's different, there's different government. And I need to find out what is it like now for me to live now in this new realm. I've been taken out of the old one. And you can spend your whole life figuring out what does it mean now to live and set my mind on things above and not things here below anymore. That's a daily grind. That's a daily battle. Fixing your eyes, not on, by sight, but by faith. That's a, that's a challenge. But that's what we're called to. So you've got this instant moment of conversion, like where you're, you're, you're translated. That's the scripture you mentioned earlier, Colossians 1 verse 13. It says, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. You know, Ephesians 5 will use even more hectic language. It will say, at one t we, that's, that's not there. It says, at one time, you were darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. It doesn't even say you were in darkness. <laughs> at one time, you were darkness, a highball. Go do some street evangelism. Say, hey, can I, how, how are you doing, sir? I just want to let you know that you are darkness. I'd love to see how that goes. <laughs> Don't use that as your opening line, but it's true. The person can look as nice as they want. <laughs> but something has to happen to you when you get saved. But now you're learning. That, that's what you'll see in Scripture. Now you're learning what does it mean to walk in the light. And if you don't have that order right, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle every day. You'll almost have a spiritual schizophrenia. Thinking, I'm not even sure. One day I'm that guy. I'm like Jekyll, and the other day I'm Hyde. Like, who am I? So this is, this is important. So Romans 6. Before you even put it up, um, there are three main points. Do you know, if you guys want to learn how to take notes, can I just honor someone here? Michelle Pullen. Oh, she doesn't have a notebook. Oh, she's doing a phone. 
she takes incredible notes. I was amazed. Um, so notes can really help you, even if it's your phone, even if it's a mental note that something stands out. Take that and go during the week and meditate on it, pray into it. But the three main points I want to cover is knowing, reckoning, and then presenting. Those are the three words. What do you need to know? What do you need to daily reckon to be true? And then how do you present yourself to God now and not to sin? I mean, what does that even mean each day? That's what we need to unpack. How do I present myself to God and not to sin? So let's read, um, like I just said, Romans 6 is like Mount Everest, so we'll touch a few points. Okay, so Romans 6, verse. I'll start with verse 5 to 8. Just going to pick out a few parts. You can go read the whole thing by yourself. But Paul says here, this is the part we're going to start with, knowing. What do I need to know? For if we have been united with him, this is Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know, do we know, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Another translation they would say might be rendered powerless so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died, there's the with him, with Christ. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Once you start putting on those glasses and looking for those phrases, you're going to see it everywhere. Identification. What happened to him happened to you. The fact that he died to the power of death, you died to the power of death. The fact that he now is raised, you're raised. The thing with him is the whole process is complete. He's seated in glory. He's not waiting for some final deliverance, Jesus. But for us, right now as you sit here, one could argue that your spirit and your position is just as righteous as it's going to be on that final day, objectively speaking. But righteousness is almost like a seed in you needs to keep working itself out so that on that final day, there you're going to stand in glory. Think about that. I want you in this church to look at your brother and sister, even when we're discipling each other, and don't treat, don't treat your brother and sister and speak to them as if they are right now. So if, I, if Liesl's in my home group and she's saying to Andrea and I, will you please help me walk out this, this road I'm on? For me to see her the way God sees her, I need, to, I need to say, God, would you show me, give me glimpses of what does the redeemed whole Liesl look like? Because I want to call out that person. I want to say, if, even if there's sin in her life, I don't just say, stop that sin. I say, stop that sin because you're an image bearer of God. You've been made in the image of God, and he has called you to such a higher place than that. That's a game changer. If you're telling someone, hey, you're a Christian, stop doing that, stop smoking, whatever, then they're like, oh, okay. And it might produce short-term results, but they don't actually have the awareness of, you're calling me out of that, but what are you calling me into? I need to know that I've been called. I'm actually, you know, like in the Roman Empire, in any empire, they would erect statues. 
And those statues would often be of the emperor of the king. Those things were there to image the, the one who was in charge so that you would almost have continual reminders of his glory, of his power, of his dominion. And in the same way, do you know, you in this, this is so exciting. You in this earth, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you need to look at yourself and say, I am literally like a statue, an image bearer, and a mirror of God in this earth. Hey, I'm like here in, hey, I'm like here in exile amongst the people who are strangers to God, don't know him, and I get to interact with people in the smallest interactions to get to go to the shops, to get to go to work, knowing that I right now am actually an image bearer of God. So let me throw off everything in my life that doesn't align with that, and let me live that way. Amen. So keep that in mind even when we're discipling because it can, you can easily fall into the trap of someone's in front of you, you're frustrated with their behavior, so you're like, stop it. And stop it is good, but it, does, it can't stop there. It has to be because you are, boom, this. Amen. So we, we, in, we were reading just those three or four verses there, and there are two things that come out. The first point you need to know is you died to sin. The, the question could be asked, how did you die to sin? Let's get rid of any false understanding. Have you died yet to sin's presence? That should be an easy answer. Do you still experience the temptation and the presence of sin each day? Yes. Okay, so we know you haven't died to sin's presence. Are you, some people say that you died in a sense that you're totally insensitive to it now. So it's like if sin, sin, if sin were a person and it comes with a stick and it pokes you, you're dead. But that's not true either. Because sin comes with a stick and pokes you. You're like, eh? And it still gets a reaction. So that's also a false understanding. You're not necessarily dead in that you, it has no appeal to you anymore. It actually still, unfortunately, has an appeal. That's the problem with it. But what you'll see in this whole chapter, the point he's making, is that you, even in a bigger sense, you've died to the lordship, the dominion, the authority of sin. That's a, that's a, that's a game changer. That's why he says in... in Chapter 6, verse 14, often a very misunderstood verse, but you need to see it for what it is. He says, this is not, a, not even an instruction he's given. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. That word there, dominion, means lordship. It means authority. It's a governance word. Sin will not have dominion over you because you are not under law but under grace. And I'm not even going to go in the sermon un under how you've been delivered from law because that would just take me down... That's too much for one preach. But there's a sense here of you, the lordship and the power of sin has been broken. And I'm very tempted to give you an analogy right now. Hmm? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to figure out where, where to put everything in. But, okay. A, a, a good analogy, and my homework can bear with me, because I probably heard it, Brian, you probably heard it like a million times, so just be quiet. <laughs> so, in 1865, on December 6th, you know where I'm going? <laughs> Something significant happened. The 13th Amendment was passed in America. 
and there was this long war. Abraham Lincoln was one of the key people, but this was the final abolition of slavery past. And I think there's, there's movies, even movies recently made about it. Which was the one we watched? Link, I think it's called Lincoln or something. Very good. But it shows you the fight that they had to get to free legally all these slaves. This is, this is a brilliant analogy. And I'm not blowing wind, up my, wind in my own sails. It just fits perfectly. Is that those slaves on the very next day, it was, it was like night and day from a legal perspective. The day before, they had no rights. The day after, their slave masters have no hold over them. But let me ask you a question, and keep in mind all our Roman 6 stuff. The next day, do you think every slave in America was already walking in that freedom? No. That was loud. No, they weren't. So what had to happen is they didn't have like WhatsApp groups and stuff where you message each other. They had horses. <laughs> Put a message in the horse's mouth and you send it off. Carrier pigeons and stuff. <laughs> but the news had to spread. And the way I want to use this analogy is that for us as Christians, you right now this morning have the option to hear this message and respond in some of the different ways these slaves did. Do you know what happened with some of them? They heard this message that we're now set free from that master, now we're free men. And some of them had lived in slavery to that master for so long that they said, I cannot believe that news. I won't believe it. It's, it's almost too scary to believe it because I know nothing else. So they stayed with their master. Hmm? What was that for? Yes. Um, and, then, and then another thing, this is, this is also where the devil's tactics come in. We'll touch on that later. You know what some of the slave masters did? They heard the news, obviously, and they knew this is the end of all our a huge industry. They said, we need to make sure that we keep our slaves completely ignorant of this. Completely ignorant. Because if they hear this, there is nothing that we can do. There's no hold we have on them anymore. But the only hold we can have is our words. We know they fear our voice. We know they're used to our voice. So let's lie to them and keep them still in bondage. You know, the sad thing is for many Christians, even sitting here, you're like that place. Where there is news in here for you, not just the initial good news that saves you, but there's news here for you that is going to help you take that ground and that promised land. But the devil lies to you and says, nothing has really changed in you. Keep trying your best. And he lowers the bar so low of freedom that you don't even expect more. You're just like, okay. I, I remember that for me. As a, as a young boy being exposed to something like pornography, I was like, I've never encountered something like this in my life. And I remember the devil over years just lied saying, freedom for you, James, is just not looking at the thing. It was just like a negative. Just don't look. Don't, don't try to pursue anything after that, but just don't look. But then God had to come to me and say, that is the biggest lie ever. You need to flee that and pursue a pleasure that is so much greater. 
You need to fill that hole that you've been trying to fill with that junk and fill it with something that is pure and wholesome. It's like the devil, let's say, example, knows that you like freshly squeezed orange juice. So he doesn't have freshly squeezed orange juice. So he gives you like some cheap Oros. <laughs> kind of tastes like orange. You, you, you feel the scent of it. You're like, this kind of tastes like the thing I'm made for. But it's not the real thing. It's concentrated and it's fake. And he's going to do that to you. And we must not be ignorant of his schemes. I could go into different examples of how those slaves reacted. But I think, I think some of the saddest ones for me is how some of them. Firstly, they looked at their experience as slaves. So they said, if that news were true, why don't I feel any different right now? So they tried to determine their position based on their current experience. And they stayed in bondage. Versus for many slaves, they heard that news and they rejoiced and threw off their shackles. And I'm sure many of them came across brothers and stuff. I think that many of them were in the cotton fields and said, come, come. And they just said, I, I can't. And for you guys this morning, I want to say, come out from under your old slave master. He has no right over you. He has no right over you. So the, the next part here is, this is knowing. So, and it, it touches on an important point that as a Christian, when you, when, when you become a Christian, it's not like you automatically get like a whole full new hard drive here. I wish that were true. Where all the old habits, all the old thoughts were gone, and then all the new like kingdom thoughts were in. Is that true? No. You've got to renew your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world that I took you out of. But be conformed now to this new kingdom you're in. And that's a process. Every Wednesday when you're meeting in comp, when you're meeting with someone for a coffee, when you're praying, you are having that in mind. I should be conforming more and more to his kingdom and his ways. Is that making sense? So reckoning. Anyone know what that word reckon means? It's actually an accounting term. Basically means if something is a debit, you put it in the debit column. Something's a credit, you put it there. So God is saying with this truth, put it in the right column. If this is true of you. Let's put up Romans 6 verse 11. And, and Paul captures it well here. He says, if this is all true with you, so you also, in light of all of this, that word they consider is actually the word reckon also. You must consider, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's your new standpoint. So when the devil comes along and tries to entice you, because it says that's what he tries to do. He's almost like a fisherman. Fishes, and the, and the, the fish normally likes like the shelter of being under the rocks in the reeds. And he'll try to entice you out with bait that he knows that you want. And uh, that's one of his schemes. So we need to reckon daily. And this is where it actually moves into application already. You need to ask yourself this morning, what do I know as a Christian? What am I speaking to myself daily? What is the messaging up here about me and my identity? And then what am I reckoning to be true? 
And you know when you're going to get tested on this the most? Is when you mess up and you fall. Because often it's in those moments that you just withdraw back to, okay, I, I actually feel unworthy. I feel far from God. I feel like maybe all these lies of the enemy about me are actually true, that I haven't actually changed, and that I'm always going to be this way. You ever felt that messaging in your head? And it will just depress you and suck you down there. But you need to say to yourself, I have died to you. And I'm now alive to a new master. Chris, was that an amen? Thank you. There, there you go, Bill. And, 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 and one more way to show what this looks like to reckon is, like I was saying now, if you were in South Africa and you moved to Canada, what's the time difference between those two places? Probably like eight to ten hours. If I fly there now and I arrive at the airport of, what's one of their places? Ontario or Quebec. One of those. And I look at my watch and it says 2 p.m. And I'm like, oh, cool, it's 2 p.m. And everyone, and then I miss my taxi. I miss my hotel booking. And I'm like, what on earth is going on here? Someone's going to be like, hey, hold on, sir. It's actually 10 p.m. here. And I'm going to say, no, I don't believe that. It's 2. It's 2 p.m. You're in a whole new place right now. And you as a Christian need to say, that used to be true of me, but I'm going to change the time on my watch to match where I actually am. Make sense? You're not changing your watch to make it true. It is true already. And you're going to have a hard time trying to live in the kingdom now if you haven't actually Reckon that to be true. Sometimes I use like a million metaphors and analogies, so I hope it's not too many. Is it too many? Okay. It just helps, it helps me like unlock the, the truth of it. So the, that, that's reckoning. The third one here, and this is just the next two, three verses, is Romans 6, verse 12 to 14. This is where he speaks of presenting. And he says, let, in light of all of this, let not sin, sin almost as personified, as like a power, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. That's actually the wrong, go back, anyone have an ESV in front of them? It doesn't say their passions, I think it says its passions, I think that's a mistake. Yeah, it's its passions, so I don't know why there's a mistake there. But it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. That's a, we had a, a chat about this the other day. That's strange. Sin almost, there's, there's sins that you have to get be forgiven of and God has to deal with. But then there's also like sin as a power. In Romans 5, it says, sin entered the world through Adam. So sin is a power that ultimately results in death. But sin right now and, and lawlessness and rebellion and stuff is an actual power in the earth. And, and look what he says here. So it makes you a bad page. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. It's almost like sin's a musician and you're an instrument. Don't present yourself. But present yourselves to God 
Because of what? As those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Do not present your members to that old master anymore. But present them to God. And then verse 14. There, there it is again. For all of this is grounded in that command even to present yourself to God is grounded in this. Because there's a victory already. For sin will not have dominion over you. Because you are not under law but under grace. And grace even is mentioned here as a power now that reigns over you. How cool is that? It says, sin used to reign. What is the language of reigning? Who normally reigns? A king or someone in, in command. It's not even the language. A president doesn't even necessarily reign. Normally the word reign is like, it's a, it's a powerful word. It's a very like all-encompassing, I reign over an empire that is mine. And if you're in that empire, you're under my reign. Now he's saying, you're not under that empire anymore. You're under a new master and a new lord. But you know what is so tricky about the Christian life? Is when you are in the new heavens and the new earth and there is no more sin, will sin even have the chance to reign? No. So you're not going to be having coffees with each other Hopefully there is coffee. That's a good point in heaven. I don't know. Maybe it'll be decaf. <laughs> decaf coffee in heaven. But you're not going to be having those, those, those chats anymore about, oh, just hang in there, just resist. It's going to be bliss. Perfect love. And, and, and you're going to see him face to face. Hey. And now you see him as vaguely through, a, through almost like a muddy mirror. And you see glimpses of him. And you even rejoice at the glimpses you see. Because then you'll see him and you'll see him as he is. And you'll be like him. And there should in your heart be a desire of saying, Lord, take me there now. That should be in the heart of every Christian. Paul had that. Who I desire to be with the Lord. Because if you know anything about him and what is in store for you, you should have a jumping inside of here say, I cannot wait to be with him. But at the same time, that day is still ahead. And we're here now. And you're in a new kingdom. The only problem is you're still living in the land that you got delivered from. So you still have, and you can put that scripture up. Check what Peter says here. Peter, when he wrote this letter, was writing to, he says, you are like exiles in a foreign land. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You're in a land here where those enemies around you, aren't, they aren't like the slave master saying, okay, Neil was set free. I'm not even going to try anymore. Cool, let's just move on. They're saying, yeah, he's been set free, but does he really know it? Why don't I come and say, did God really? Did God really say that? If you really are a son of God, then do this. That's his, his tactics. He's going to test you, buffet you, test you. But there's a war around you. And you've experienced that war. Who's experienced anxiety before? It can cripple you. 
and it will feed on itself. Fear. I've had fear before where I've lain in bed and haven't been able to open my mouth and have felt just fear on top of me. There can be, there can be so many things, despair, hopelessness. Have you ever woken up and feel like there is literally no hope? There is nothing for me to hope in. I might as well be gone, be done. You literally, like, we, like I said earlier, is all these enemies are still in the land. And they're saying, yeah, Jesus might have won that battle for you, but we're not going down without a fight. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not a puffing up of the human spirit to go defeat me. The weapons of our warfare, what we've preached today is a sword in your hand. Just try it out this week. Go through a week. And when sin in all its ways, don't even just think of sin as these outright, like, really big acts of, like, the Ten Commandments. That sometimes is an immature way to think of sin. Sin even is the power of sin in the world that wants to drag you down into everything that is not of God. Peace, righteousness, joy, kindness, humility. All the opposites of that wants to draw you into. And you can resist and say, you're trying to claw your way onto me, but I don't belong to you anymore, and I'm giving you no authority in my life. And in the beginning, it might be a real challenge. Because the devil's going to be like, uh-huh, I've never heard that from you. And you're now fighting from a different place. You're fighting from a different place of victory, of I've been set free from you. So depression, anxiety, lust, covetousness, hopelessness, be gone in Jesus' name. And you might fall down. You're going to scrape your knees a bit. But gradually, you're going to start fighting, I promise you, from a different place. So I, I, want, to, I want to ask yourself, in this whole part that we've focused on of what do I know, Paul saying, do you not know? What are you reckoning daily to be true? And how are you presenting yourself? Are you actively presenting yourself, mind, body, strength, soul, everything to God each day? Or are you living ignorant almost in the land? I want to ask you, hmm? I want to ask, where are you in that journey? If you were to think of yourself like, maybe for some of you, you laid down these foundations for yourself in years past. And God today is saying, you need to, you need to take those truths off the shelf, dust them off. And put them back into action. Some of us. For some of us sitting here though, this might feel like, I don't think someone's ever told me that I'm dead to sin. <laughs> I bet you there are people here like that. And I want you to go home and grapple with that. Don't let it be James's words. This needs to be the word. If it's not in there, don't listen to it. But go read it yourself and say like, and don't start with your experience like the slaves did. Don't say, hold on, I'm reading that, and it does seem to say what he said it's saying. But my slave master is still shouting at me. How, how does this work? Start with this, and then confront sin. Make sense? I 
just wanted to say something because we've talked about this preach a lot, and so I hope I'm on the same page. But basically, I, when James and I spoke about this last night, I was thinking, like, the thing that stuck out to me about it was that I used to struggle thinking that deep down that there was, like, an uncleanness. And I think that maybe many of us struggle with that, that you think, like, well, I'm fighting this battle against sin, or I'm trying to be righteous like God has called me, but deep down there's something dirty that I actually am constantly at war with. And that thing can sometimes come in the form of shame or a feeling of condemnation or maybe it's hopelessness, but that thing is not true. That's kind of what the preach is about, is that you actually deep down at the bottom lowest level are now clean. That's the difference. So you've got a new seed. Jesus is the seed, and it refers to him as the seed throughout the scriptures, and that seed is going to spread out. So it's like I always imagined like a golden seed that went deep down to like the the base level of who I am, and the, the tendrils are kind of like going out into outer layers, you know, it's going out into my thinking, it's going out into my generosity, or my actions, and my words, it seems like the words come last for most of us, <laughs> the words are the hardest to control, but basically like that golden seed, that power that God has put into us, which is his Holy Spirit, he's now living in us in this form, that thing is taking over, and so that's why we don't have to have any condemnation because there is a seed in us that is not going to lose this battle, you know, that he is strong enough to infiltrate and take over every single part of us, just make way for him, you know. It's the difference between the, like, fighting yourself versus, like, allowing God to have his way in all areas and his power to take over. Hope that helps. I think the, the point there also of that is it's an inward-outward change that's happening. I need to know that something actually has changed in me, even if I feel like I'm still like an infant in this area and I'm messing up the whole time. I need to know that there's an inward change in me that I need to actually express. And that's so encouraging to know that because the opposite of that is very depressing. If you think I've got to get all this right on the outside so that I'm truly going to be clean, I'm truly going to be worthy you're going to feel back like the schizophrenia thing I said. One day you're there, next day you're there, one day you're there, one day. You need, a, you need an anchor. You need truth that anchors me to face all these storms. So I think, I was even thinking this morning about, and I said it from the beginning, that a way to respond to this, on the one hand, is not simply to say, I'm going to stand today and I want someone to put their hand on my shoulder and pray for me. Because sometimes we can use that as a form of lazy Christianity. What we need to do is say, if I recognize areas in my life where I've been giving up ground to the enemy, and it's subtle, because he'll masquerade as light, but he's actually darkness. He's oros, he's not freshly squeezed orange juice. So you need to ask yourself, what is in that area where he is tempting me to go the whole time, what am I really made for and seeking there? If it's something like lust, I actually truly want intimacy. I want to be fully known and I want to fully know someone. I want to not be lonely anymore. If it is something like um, despair and hopelessness or something, you might find that you've somehow believed the lie that happiness is the ultimate end for you to live for. And as long as you have happiness or don't have it, you're also going to be up and down. And God's saying, I want to give you joy. Not, not a worldly happiness that you're seeking, you're living for the weekend, then Monday comes, and 
there you've got no anchor. God says, I want to give you joy. So look at, even let's, we'll respond now. I'll hand it over to Estian. Hey? Just in reverence and humility. <laughs> but ask yourself, like I was saying, and I think there was such an important point earlier about discipleship, because I, I didn't prepare that, is that we need to look at ourselves and each other and say, not what is God just calling each of you out of? Because all of us here today probably need to be delivered out of some sin still. But we need ourselves, what is he calling us into? Say, God, give me a glimpse. If I'm Brian Sayer, say, God, give me a glimpse of what is the man you're calling me to be. I want to be that man. And I want to shake off anything that isn't that man. That's a much higher vision and a much higher calling. Awesome.